right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Matthew. Now, the last time we were here in chapter 13, we're basically dealing with the parables of the kingdom. That is, it is over against the rejection of Jesus as Messiah, the national rejection of Jesus as Messiah from the leaders of the people. And as we know, as the leaders go, the people will eventually follow. But nevertheless, the leaders had already from Matthew chapter 11 had already made up their minds to reject Jesus as Messiah and are now going about seeking ways to destroy Jesus. And then that's chapter 11. Then we get into that pivotal chapter, Jesus performing a messianic miracle in the healing of a man who was demon possessed, unable to speak. The people began to muse, to wonder whether or not Jesus indeed was the Messiah. And what did the leaders do once again? They went about to convince the people the reason that Jesus was able to do the things that he did was because he was demon possessed. This pivotal point led to Jesus dealing with the nation in a whole new different sense. No longer will he be performing messianic miracles. That's why he later on said in the chapter, no further sign will be given to this generation, the generation of Jesus's day, because that generation would experience the judgment. That would be the judgment of the 70 AD destruction by Rome. But nevertheless, Jesus would, from that point on, withdraw his messianic offer to the nation. He would therefore no longer be king unto Israel. The kingdom that Israel was, was expecting, the one that was promised by the prophets and of the Old Testament, that kingdom was therefore placed on hold and that generation that saw all of Jesus's signs and wonders who rejected Jesus would therefore be judged. Now, prophetically, the kingdom would be extended to another generation in the future, but we're not going to deal with that right now. But nevertheless, with the kingdom withdrawn from that generation, and that is because they didn't receive Jesus as their king, Jesus chapter 13 began to talk about a new mystery kingdom, a kingdom that was unknown or unheard of before. And so his dealings with the people of Israel became very different. Why? At first, when he taught the people, he always taught them clearly. Matthew chapters five, six, and seven, clear teachings concerning the kingdom. But now he begins to teach the people as a whole. His public teaching was in parables. And in this new parabolic teaching, he brought forth an understanding that is for his disciples, a new mystery kingdom, something that was not known in the Old Testament by the prophets of old and that this new mystery kingdom that he spoke of. And we're not going to go through all of those parables. Just go back and look at the teaching that we did in chapter 13. But a new kingdom which would involve both Jew and Gentiles believing in Jesus as their Messiah, but this would be outside the economy of the law of Moses. There would therefore be a new kingdom law that would be brought about. And that's what Jesus talked about in one of those final parables. The scribe who brings about brings from his uh, treasure 
new things and old things. A similarity with the old uh, old covenant, the Mosaic covenant and new things. That is why we call it the law of Christ. And that's what the new kingdom will be under. And that's what we're under today. This new kingdom law, as we ourselves are part of the new mystery kingdom, both Jew and Gentile. So basically, this is the idea that was talked about in chapter 13. But the key thing to remember is the people, namely, specifically, the leaders have decided to reject Jesus as Messiah. And therefore, Jesus will begin to respond to the nation differently because he is no longer offering himself as Messiah. And therefore, this uh, way of dealing with the people, just let me simply say, is just simply off the table. It is now personal salvation, one-on-one -on -one faith in believing in Jesus himself and no more this thing about the national king. And this is what Matthew 12 was so important about, which brought about chapter 13, that is the new mystery kingdom. The kingdom of Israel rejected him. And so therefore this new kingdom has now come about. But always remember all of these things have always been in the mind of God anyway. Okay, so with that understanding, let's now get into chapter 14 and this understanding we wanna deal with once again, Israel, the nation from the national perspective has rejected Jesus and now Jesus began to deal not so much as trying to convince the nation that he is the Messiah unto the Jews, but we're going to see a change at this point in Matthew's gospel as Matthew is trying to get us to see what he is trying to say. And Jesus now began to deal with his disciples. And what we begin to see in particular here is Jesus begins to train his disciples for the future work that he will give them in the future. And we know this future work that Jesus will give disciples in the future will actually happen on the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church. Now, we're not going to get into all of those particular details, but once Jesus is taken away from them after his death, burial, resurrection and ascension into heaven, it is it will then be up to the apostles to continue the ministry of Jesus. All right. So that's the idea. So Jesus knows all of these things. So what does he do after the rejection of Israel? Now we see in chapters 14 and and thereafter, Jesus concentrating on his disciples and his ministry with them to prepare them for their ministry, especially after he departs. And this will explain why Jesus does some of the things that he does and why Matthew records them in some of the ways that he records them. But anyway, enough said about that. Let's just simply go into chapter 14, where we can see the enlightenment from uh, in all of these things. Okay. The training of Jesus disciples chapter 14. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the news about Jesus and said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. For when Herod had John arrested, 
he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Although Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because they regarded John as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Having been prompted by her mother, she said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. Although he was grieved, the king commanded it to be given because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl and she brought it to her mother. His disciples came and took away the body and buried it and they went and reported to Jesus. Okay, so now we are dealing here with a continuation in the ministry of Jesus, but a continuation that deals with a change and here this particular change also pivots on the death of John the Baptist. Now, we are here in, in John 14, we're just simply recounting the issue that led to the death of John the Baptist. However, John was already put in prison. So what was basically happening was, the news about Jesus was spreading and had even reached the king's palace, that is, Herod Antipas. Now, this is not Herod the Great. Herod the Great is already dead, and this is his son, uh, Herod Antipas, who is called Herod the Tetrarch because he is here ruling a fourth part of what was once the kingdom of Herod the Great, okay? And so, but nevertheless, so this is Herod Antipas. He has heard of the works of Jesus, Jesus spreading all about. And so he now believes that this is John the Baptist whom he had beheaded uh, because John had accused uh, Herod of sin because Herod had married his brother Philip's wife. Philip was still alive and Herod Antipas has taken her as his own wife and therefore John the Baptist was, and notice that, had been saying, that means John had rebuked him over and over again for marrying his brother's wife while his brother was still alive. And so his wife Herodias had taken great issue with John and wanted John to be put to death. And so therefore, when we see all of these, not only just in Matthew, but in the other gospels that spoke of this event, we can basically see that it was Herodias who was really pushing this issue of having John the Baptist put to death. So what Herod Antipas did was because he feared the people, the people had believed that John was a prophet. And so Herod did not want uh, the people to come against him. And also we'll find out, I also believe it's in the book of Mark, that Herod would sometimes hear what John had to say, even though he found it confusing. But in some sense, he delighted in listening to John. So the bottom line is to, in a sense, to satisfy Herodias, his uh ill-gotten wife, Herod Antipas had John put in prison. And so therefore it is now being, we are now recalling these events. So let's, let's just finish the story. And so 
what happened, the events that led to John the Baptist's death. It was on a day that Herod had a birthday and he had all of his great men, his military soldiers and the like at this particular banquet. And there, uh, the daughter of Herodias, I think her name was Salome, Shalome, uh, Salome, had danced before Herod, no doubt some erotic dance before Herod, and it pleased Herod, and Herod in his party, no doubt drinking and all of that, led to this particular saying of Herod, pleased by her dancing, said to the girl, he promised a girl with a vow that he would give her up to the half of his kingdom, whatever she wanted. And so the girl, not knowing what to ask, went and asked her mother, what should he ask what should she ask of Herod? And so Herodias saw this as an opportune time to get rid of John the Baptist. And so she counseled the girl and said, go and ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. That is the murder of John the Baptist. So the girl came back to the king with the request and because of the king's oath in front of his dinner guests, he had to keep, he didn't have to keep his vow, but for the sake of his pride, he had to keep his vow, if you know what I'm saying. He went and had John the Baptist beheaded in the prison, even though this grieved Herod himself. He didn't want to do it, but because of his vow, he yet did it. So this event, this recounts the event of the death of John the Baptist and how that uh, Herod was now believing because he was now hearing all of these great things that Jesus of Nazareth was doing. Okay. So he was believing that John the Baptist, whom he had beheaded in the prison, had risen from the dead. And therefore, because John had resurrected from the dead, he was able to do all of these great things. So Herod didn't know that Jesus was really a separate person. He was believing that it was John the Baptist. So this particular section, let's just see the death of John the Baptist and how the mighty works of Jesus was spreading even to the palaces of the king at that particular time. Okay. And also it gives us a transition for the ministry of Jesus. Cause notice once that had happened, the, the disciples came, that is the, the disciples of John the Baptist. After John was beheaded, they took the body of John and gave it a proper burial. And they then began to report this to Jesus. And so this allows for a sense of a transition in the ministry of Jesus. As I was just telling you guys earlier, notice now 11 and 12 deal with that rejection of Jesus. Okay. And, and remember all the while Jesus is presenting himself as Messiah to the Jewish people. Receive me as your Messiah, receive me as your King. And the idea, the assumption is, and as you receive me as Messiah, if you do, I will bring in the coming kingdom that was promised by the prophets. But what happened? They did not receive him. The leaders rejected him. And so therefore 
the new kingdom chapter 13 is talking about and Jesus transitions his ministry into something else. And the death of John the Baptist also allows us to see what, or should I say, furthers this sense of transitioning of the ministry of Jesus. And this is what verse number 13 and beyond allows us to see how that ministry is transitioned and what does Jesus do in the transitioning of his ministry? Okay. So the death of John the Baptist, that, that kind of sets the introduction for this thing. And verse number 13. Now, when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. There were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. Okay, now we get to the feeding of the 5,000 a miraculous miracle, but let's just deal with the commentary. So notice again, the transition verse number 13 provides for us. When Jesus heard what had happened to John, he withdrew. So notice that's withdrawing himself from the people. And there is an evidence of change in his presentation of himself to the people, but nevertheless, so he withdraws from the place the people, the crowds of people that have been following Jesus, as Jesus is in a boat, the crowds are walking along the seashore following after Jesus. And so as the Jesus came back from the seashore into the crowd, he saw large amounts of people following them. He had compassion on them and healing their sick. Now, once again, I want you guys to understand what you have to see involved. No longer is there this presentation so much as to the nation, receive me as your Messiah, as there is Jesus's presentation of himself to his own disciples, as he is beginning to instruct his own disciples by word and deed, teaching his disciples, preparing his disciples for their future ministry. Now, even though Jesus is not coming to them and saying to them, I am preparing you for your ministry. Nevertheless, in what he is saying, 
what he is doing. And even as Peter is, I'm sorry, Matthew is recounting it in his gospel. He is teaching. He is saying to us, Jesus is preparing us for our ministry. Okay, enough. But so the crowd is, is, is following him. He heals the crowd. So take all of that into your mindset as he prepares the disciples. You do likewise. So what happens? They're in a deserted place. That is a place where there is no food. And the disciples come to Jesus as the evening is now dawning. And they simply say to Jesus, send the people away. Why? Because we cannot provide for the people. They need to buy food for themselves in the place where they can find food, which will be in the towns and the nearby villages. So send them out there. Jesus tells the disciples that people do not need to go anywhere. You provide for them. And that's the point that I want you to see. And that's the point that begins to kind of illuminate what Jesus is doing. My whole point. He's training his disciples. What does Jesus command his disciples? You give them something to eat. Now, I understand that the nature of what is going on is physical food is being provided for the food. Because what do we have? Two fish, five loaves, and there is a supernatural provision that comes from Jesus himself. And I want you and God, this always just blows my mind. Two fish, five loaves. He commands the people to sit down in groups of fifties. And from there, Jesus blessed the, he blesses the food. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And with this blessing, Jesus then begins to give the food to the disciples who give to the people. So it is a provision that comes from Jesus himself. Jesus provides food for a great number of people, 5,000, not including the women and the children. So this could have easily begin a, a feeding of 15 upwards of 20,000 people. This blows your mind when you actually think of two fish, five loaves. I just can't deal with that, but it's just absolutely miraculous. And once it is done, he still has 12 basket full of fragment left over. Jesus is more than able to provide. He is more than able to provide for the people. He is more than able to provide for the disciples. But once again, that lesson that Jesus gives to the disciples is you give these people something to eat. So whereas Jesus provided the physical food in time to come, the disciples will provide for the people the spiritual food. And it will be Jesus who will empower these disciples to provide this food. He will give them more than what they need. <laughs> From the abundance of himself, from the abundance of Jesus, the disciples will feed the people the spiritual word of God, which will be more than what they need. Okay, so the lesson 
you give them something to eat. The training of the disciples, the training of not only what, what Jesus wants the disciples to do, and I don't want to be premature. Let me save that for later on. But notice, training of the disciples. Can you remember that for just this moment? Training of them for what, for here, what he wants them to do. The provision of bread, the providing of food, spiritual food, which will later be from the mouth of the apostles. The spiritual food will be the word of God, okay? Part of their training. Now let's just simply continue on and we'll see this concept even being expanded in Jesus's personal training of his disciples. Notice once again, off the out, off of the backdrop, as Israel has rejected Jesus as her national Messiah, he trains them uh, for their ministry in this new kingdom. Okay, let's continue on. Uh, verse number 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage. It is I do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped and those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, you are certainly God's son. Okay, so let me stop right there because that, that's a lesson in itself. Okay, so now, after the feeding of the 5,000, now take, it, take in a generic, holistic form lessons to be taught. First lesson we just learned, you feed the people and that will be what? Not the food but the word of God. Second lesson. So now Jesus sends the disciples over on a boat. Jesus is left there alone and there Jesus prays. There is also implied another lesson for the disciples to learn. There is a time for seclusion. There is a time to send the crowds away. And there is a time for your own personal spiritual recharge. That is, there's a time for you to seek God in prayer, for you 
to be alone by yourselves and you to go to God and be spiritually recharged in prayer. Even as we see Jesus himself setting the example of being alone and pray. Notice, take all of it. It's the same thing, guys. Learn the lesson as he's teaching his disciples. Okay. Time for prayer and also to a time for the events of the feeding of the 5,000 to, for them to ponder this event, not only to ponder the, the meaning of these events, but also ponder the person of Jesus. And this is what I've been building up to. And this, even what we see Matthew is beginning to build up to ponder the person of Jesus. Who is Jesus, who is this one that you have come, that the disciples have come to believe is the Messiah, is the one who is sent forth from God. Just who is he? Who is this? Allow me to say it this way. Is this man? But notice, so in the pondering of this, he sends the disciples away. Let's go into the commentary so we can see it. They go on a boat. He sends them away on the sea. They're on the Sea of Galilee, okay? As they're going on the boat, the winds and the waves are contrary. And Jesus is there, and he is left to pray. In the fourth watch of the night, roughly about 3 to 6 a.m., Jesus comes to them. Now, catch this, guys. It's easy to just simply say these words, but can you imagine what this must have looked like? Three to six o'clock in the morning, the waves of the sea are contrary as the disciples are on the boat and they are far out at sea. And there comes Jesus walking on the water. You, you have to pause when you think about that. He walks on the water. He defies the laws of physics. Why? because he is the Lord of the laws of physics. He is the God of the laws of physics. He himself set forth the law of physics. So therefore he can break the law of physics. But nevertheless, I don't want to get excited and start preaching about it, but allow this to sink into your spirit. Once again, Jesus does all of these things as an object lesson to the disciples. And that's what you have to understand. And that's what we have to look for. What is he trying to say? What is he trying to teach his disciples in the doing of these things? So he comes walking in the fourth watch of the night. The disciples see and they know a man cannot walk on the water. So quite naturally, they are afraid and they begin to think it is a ghost. Why? A physical man cannot defy gravity and walk on water. They are afraid. And so they, and Jesus calms their spirit. Don't be afraid. It is truly, it is truly me, the Lord Jesus, me. And so Peter says, okay, Lord, if it really is you, and I like what Peter says, command me command me for as Jesus has the power to walk on the water, he would also have the power to command Peter to do the same. He is Lord of natural forces, Lord of the waters. And so Jesus just simply says in one word to Peter, come. And so Peter walking, getting out of the boat, 
initially in faith. And that's what you have to see. Initially in faith, he begins to to walk on the waters. And, 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 and as Peter begins to walk on the water, all of a sudden he sees and he is, his attention is taken off of Jesus and his attention is now being focused on the wind, the waves, the contrariness and the water that is underneath his feet. The water that Peter is not supposed to quote unquote be able to walk on. Peter is distracted and begins to sink. He cries out to Jesus, Lord, save me. And in a marvelous way, can you imagine Jesus stretching out his hand and bringing Peter back to the top of the water and making him stand on top of water? Peter say, Jesus saves Peter and then he gives Peter a slight rebuke and says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So the whole instance of this miracle walking on the water is that it should get the disciples to have faith. So Jesus is once again training his disciples to have faith. First, first lesson, what did we see with the food? Teach the people. Second lesson, the disciples themselves need to have personal faith personal faith, not just in the objective sense, but even faith in Jesus, faith in what? Now watch what happens when Jesus gets on the boat. Watch the response of the disciples. So notice when Jesus gets on the boat, the disciples are indeed amazed at Jesus. And what do they say when he got on the, when he got on the boat, they worshiped Jesus. To worship Jesus is something, an adoration that you give only to God. They worship Jesus saying, you are certainly God's son. So what are we getting here? Here's the thing. You see, as Jesus has already called the disciples, they have already believed that he is the promised one spoken by Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. They believe that Jesus is that prophet who is to come. They already believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They believe that. They believe the disciples of Jesus believe that Jesus is that promised king who is to come. But they they believe that Jesus is basically a man. They don't really understand the true nature of his person until they see certain things. And we see a shadow of these things beginning to come as, 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 as the, when Jesus uh, comes on the boat and they begin to say, this, this is early. Who is this particular man when Jesus calms the waves and the wind with the sound of his voice, who is that one who is to come? And that's when we later move into the sea. Let me just simply tell you. And later on, they began to say, and Jesus came into the region of Gadara and there he was met by demon possessed men. And what did the demon possessed men say? We know who you are, the Holy One of God. They answered the question of the disciples concerning Jesus. Just who is this man? 
That's the reflection that we have earlier with the demon possessed man. We know who you are. And the disciples asking when Jesus calmed the wind and the wave, who is he? Now let's transport into this particular scenario. Jesus walks on the water. They have known him to be Messiah. They believe him to be the king, but their understanding of him is still imperfect. He is not simply the man, the Messiah, the King. He is God himself. What do the disciples do? They begin to do something that is reserved only for God. They begin to worship him. And what do they say unto him? You certainly are God's son by the very nature of what they're saying to be the son of God means to be God himself. That is as the son, as the father is, so is the son as the nature of the father is, so is the nature of the son. So therefore, if Jesus bears the nature of the father who is God, then Jesus is God. The disciples are beginning to realize by this miracle of Jesus, this walking on the water that he is God. So what is Jesus? What is the lesson to be learned? What is Jesus teaching them at this point? He is teaching them something about himself. Have faith in not, 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 let me just break it down. Not only just simply of having faith, but that faith ultimately in the person of Jesus. He is more than a man in the person of him being God. Have faith in Christ Jesus as our Lord, as our God, and as our Savior. So you see what he is doing with the disciples? He is training them. First lesson, once again, provide for the people through the abundance that Jesus will give through what he is able to give. And that provision will be what? The teaching of the word of God. And having faith in Jesus, in his person, not that this Jesus is just simply the Messiah, not that he is just simply the man, the prophet likened unto Moses, but in that he is God himself. Through him, all things are provided. Or can I even say it this way? Have faith in God, have faith in Jesus himself. So he teaches them another aspect to his person. So notice what we see once again, training of the disciples to know this Jesus whom you are following more intimately, this Jesus who you will in the future be teaching and preaching about that you yourself must first come to know him. Okay, now let's wrap this chapter up. It's a little shorter than I thought. When they had crossed over, verse number 34, uh, crossed over, they came to a land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent word into all the surrounding district and brought to him all who were sick. And they implored him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. And as many as touched it 
were cured. And so here we have a favorable response to Jesus. So in Jesus, so the boat gets to the other side, and it's the other side of the Gennesaret here. And as Jesus is in that place, the people begin once again to hear about Jesus and they once again, the crowds are following him. But notice now, no longer do we see this issue of this Messiah being presented to the nation. But then we see uh, the compassion of Jesus to the people and the people desiring to hear from Jesus and to touch Jesus, just like the woman with the issue of blood, believing that if they just touch Jesus, they would gain some form of advantage in the sense of they would be healed. So we see a great number of people being healed because they are having, once again, notice what I'm about to say, they are having personal faith in Jesus. Why? Once again, as I say over and over again, the offer of the Messianic Kingdom is no longer on the table. Personal faith in Jesus as Messiah is now from henceforth necessary. And this is what we see. Okay, so now let's just simply wrap it up. Chapter 14, a beautiful chapter. It shows a transition from the moment of the death of John the Baptist. It shows this moment of transition for the teaching of Jesus for his own disciples, his personal training. He's training them two things to provide in chapter 14 that we see to provide for the people in the teaching of the word of God, as well as the further of the understanding of this Jesus. Who is Jesus? He is more than a man, he's more than a prophet, he's more than simply Messiah. He is God with us. And it is from his bountiful blessings, from the greatness of Jesus' own person, of who he is, this will empower the disciples to do what they will do in the future. Okay? So thank you for joining me in chapter 14. In that Glad to join you. We did have a little moment of break from you guys, but it's glad to be, I'm glad to be back on schedule with you once again. And one more time, always remember guys, support the ministry. So if you haven't given to the ministry, think about it, pray about it. If God touches your heart, bless us with a one-time donation or become a monthly supporter. Anyway, join us once again as we move into chapter 15 and we continue on with the rejection of the uh, Pharisees and the scribes and things of that nature. But anyway, join us next time for chapter 15 as we move further in the continuation of Jesus's ministry and the rejection. For as we have seen with John the Baptist, what happened with John the Baptist in chapter 14, as the forerunner was rejected and ultimately killed, we will see the same thing for the Messiah. He himself will ultimately be rejected and ultimately killed by the leaders of the people. All right. Thanks for joining me, guys. See you next time.